0: develop thematics I think requires a knowledge of self maybe not an ultimate knowledge of self because that's a process that can take your entire life but to know yourself well enough to know what you believe in
1: you are now listening to beyond the fourth wall of writing with your host john robinson the Here we smash walls, demolish writer's blocks, and learn how to harness the true power of storytelling. Let's get it cracking. Today's guest is Brian Edward Hill. Brian Hill is a multi-talented phenomenon serving as author, screenwriter, musician, comic book writer, and graphic designer. He graduated from New York University's film school and is known for his works such as American Carnage, Batman, Killmonger, fallen angels, and so much more. Brian has a mind for harnessing the profound truth in all that he writes and giving readers a little piece of himself in the process. All right, what's going on, everybody? Of course, this is John Robinson the Fourth with Beyond the Fourth Wall Podcast, and I have with me Mr. Brian Edward Hill. What's going on, sir?
0: Hey, I'm here. We are doing it
1: we and as usual, we have a, a theme per podcast episode and we're going to be talking a little bit about theme itself. So, mm. um, I think Ryan is, 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 pretty good with, uh, with finding the essence of his books and pulling them out. You know, every time I, every time I go to, uh, talk to a writer about this stuff, I think about what, it, what is the thing about them that really grips me? And I think like for me, at the end of the day, I, I really think it's theme. So, um, uh, mm. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you kind of know how to get into a into the head of a character, and then pull out what they're going through. And to me, that kind of like sets a thematic tone for them, you know.
0: Well, you know, writing. I look at both nonfiction and fiction writing in the same way, meaning that they're all essays. Mm-hmm. And we know we learn in in high school that an essay has to have a, you know, controlling idea. It has to have a hypothesis. And then you engage that hypothesis in the body of the essay. And hopefully, if it's an argumentative essay, by the end of it, you have convinced the reader that your perspective on your thesis is correct. Um, I look at fiction in the same way. And fiction, to me, needs to be about something more than just a moment-to-moment experience of it. Um, And I think that audiences and readers, even if they aren't actively thinking about thematics, they can feel when what they're watching isn't about anything. Mm-hmm. It's just not as engaging and they can't put their thumb on it, you know, because everyone isn't, you know, sitting there, you know, uh, engaging entertainment in a philosophical way. I mean, you know, they're working their 40 hour a week job and they're coming home and, you know, reading a comic book on their lunch hour or watching their favorite show on TV or they're, you know, sneaking away and finding some time on the weekend to go see a movie. Right. But uh, they know innately when what they're watching uh, isn't about Anything, you know, uh-huh. when it's nonsense, and I and I mean that in a literal sense, you know, that it's it's just nonsensical. It doesn't have any any sense, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and a lot of, it, you know, in the mechanics of creation, the business of creation, oftentimes you're not asked to have a controlling idea. You're not really asked to have a theme. Um, you know, notes can be about moment to moment choices and scenes, or you know, someone can just like the aesthetic of a thing, and that's why they want to make a deal and and, and all that. But it's incumbent upon the creators, I think, to, uh, uh, you know, uh, put a theme inside the work. And that's just me. I mean, I, you know, a lot of people respond to, like, the gestalt quality of something that is just cool to experience. And there are some pictures uh, uh, that, uh, that I watch that I think are in that category. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I, I like to see a theme engaged. And for me, it keeps my writing focused because I know what the story is about. Right, like um, the 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 challenge of writer's block is knowing what to do, right? And Mm -hmm. for me, that's always found in knowing what the story is about. Whenever I'm lost about what the next move is of the dance, I can just go back to my theme and say, okay, well, what's my movie about? What's my story about? What's my television episode about? What's whatever? Right. And then I go back to the thematic, and then from the thematic, I can figure out how to engage.
1: Right. Yeah. You know. The, the funny thing is, like, <clears throat> whenever I've ever, I've talked to other writers about what theme is, you know, kind of like, you know, just among peers or whatnot, it's always, uh, it's always like an elusive thing that's hard to define. It's like one of those, it's like, all right, yeah, theme is that thing. Yeah.
0: Well, it, <laughs> the easiest way, I think, to discover theme is, okay, so before we even get into the writing of it all, mm-hmm. um, what... What we're really talking about is the act of introspection, mm-hmm. and and the revelations that come from introspection, right? Yeah. Um, we are not in an introspective culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, perhaps we haven't been in a very long time, but we're certainly not now. I mean, we got twenty-four hour news cycle. We have the constant din of social media. We have the uh, aggressive and endless opinion economy that we're dealing with. And we just don't have uh, a great deal of time, or we don't have a cultural set-aside moment for introspection.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And to develop thematics, I think, requires a knowledge of self. Maybe not an ultimate knowledge of self, because that's a process that can take your entire life. But to know yourself well enough to know what you believe in. So what I always tell people to do is get out a piece of paper, and write down 10 things that you believe are true mm-hmm. about the world, about humanity, about an emotion, love, fear, anger, uh, about politics. If you want to write something that's political, uh, if you want to write something that's apolitical, then about ethics. But take out a piece of paper and write out 10 things you think are true. Uh, and and then look at those 10 things and Pick the one that feels the most true to you, and then that is your thematic. That's something you can engage. And you can engage the same theme over and over again, finding different nuance and different dimensions and degrees. Of right. it. You know, of A lot of storytellers are sort of always telling the same story. You, know, you think about James Cameron. James Cameron is largely always telling a story about how humanity will destroy itself mm. with the arrogance of its technology. Right, yeah that's that's clearly on his mind right and he clearly believes that uh you know the the irresponsible development of technology could result in the destruction of humanity
1: and that's now now is that would you call that uh different from or the same as like the quote-unquote moral of a story
0: Mm, i mean they can be very similar um you know i I think that um it's almost a moral is a if it's a Venn diagram series of circles right i think um a moral is one circle inside the venn diagram of theme um meaning that like moral to me says this is a truth that will help you live a just life and so that is story almost as lesson uh Sometimes a the thematic doesn't have to be like that. you know sometimes a the thematic can just be you know uh this is the way you know like w- we're we're destroyed by our own desire for whatever, and it's maybe you could look at that as a, as a moral if you wanted to, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily have to give you sort of like the tools to overcome it as much as it engages it right right but yeah. They're all like kind of in the same family, for sure. You know, um, and uh, I know that when I was growing up, um I'm still growing up in a lot of ways, you know, the, the thematics of a story would help me put my own life into context, mm-hmm. right? Like there's that, uh, you know, the scene in uh, Miami Vice 2006 right, that I was talking about on Twitter. Right. And that film, and there's a scene where Crockett, played by Colin Farrell, is um, talking to uh Oh, I forget what her what her name is, but she's played by um, Gong Li. Mm-hmm. Gong Li's character, you know, and and you know she's involved with the drug cartel, but she's not a terrible person. But you know she's with the bad guys and all that. And you know he says something uh, to the effect of, you know, uh, time runs out, the odds catch up, probability is like gravity. You cannot negotiate with gravity.
1: Right. Uh, right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And. And you know that that spoke to me. You know this idea that you can get away with it, but you don't get away with it forever. Nobody gets away with it forever, right? right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know that I, I thought about that. You know, think about times in life when you get over a little bit, or you know, oh, I can do this wrong thing, whatever. But eventually, it comes crashing down. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually you you have to, you have a reckoning if you're not careful, right? Right. Um, and you can't stay at the poker table forever. Nobody wins forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's a thematic that spoke to me, you know, kind of in that movie. And so, you know, that's just an example of, you know, uh, um, how theme can work in uh, a story. You know, and I think that is the the theme of that film. And I think oftentimes in a movie, you'll probably have a scene where the theme is spoken aloud in some way. It might be delicate. It might be layered. It might not just hit, I and mean, we you know it, it won't always feel like Yoda and Luke on Dagobah, but, uh, it's in there. Usually it's in there, you know, and, uh, you can, you, you see the scene, you might not realize it the first time you watched it because it's kind of wrapped up in the drama of the thing. But then when you watch something again, you're like, Oh, that's the theme of the whole movie, the whole movie stuff.
1: Absolutely. I mean, like one of the, one of the things that. Um that I, I think about a lot when I, when I think about, all right, how do I make sure I'm implementing this thing, but not like hitting them over the head with it, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm always like heavy on, like, I, I gotta be subtle with this, but I don't want to step so far away from it, but that the, that the reader can't grasp that this is the, this is the, uh, the thematic I'm going for, you know? Um, how mm-hmm. do, how, how do you think, I mean, do you have any like ways that you, that you balance that or do you struggle with that yourself or?
0: Well, you know, I mean, subtlety to me comes in, in redrafting. Uh, I don't try to be subtle in my first draft. I like to get it out, get it down, right? Um, it's, like, it's like making a song. You know, when you make a song, you need a melody. I mean, you don't need a melody if you're making something that's really abstract. But let's say you're making a, a pop song, R&B or something. We need a melody, right? And the melody can be laid out pretty bare when you first start. And then after you know what your melody is, then you can come in and you can put your dropouts in, you can put your harmonies in, you know, you can put a, a you know, an auto-tune on yourself, put some echoes on yourself and whatever. But it always starts, usually, with someone at a piano working out basic chord structure and a basic melody, you know? Um, there it, it was, like, like, you know, Future and, like, Mask Off, right? Like... You know, there's that, there's that little loop. It all starts with that loop. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that's the whole song. And it's just it is looped. And so I'm sure the first version of that song was just that loop and, and you know, him trying to figure it out, mask off, fucking mask off. Um, <laughs> and, and then, you, you know, you kind of layer it in and you, and, you, and you make everything kind of, you know, complex and the rest of it. But I approach writing a lot like music. I mean, it's, they're very similar to me. And the rising and the falling conflict and the structure of it all and, you know, midpoints and the climax and the introduction and all that stuff. So I would always tell people, go ahead and just be, you know, corny in your first draft. And then when you get it out, then you can nuance it some. You know, you can have someone sort of talk around the thing and lead lead an audience to a thing in a a different way. Um, But just for your own clarity, I think it's important for you to know what your your movie is about, right? If you think about like Halloween, for instance, you know, um, well, the theme of Halloween is that objective evil is real.
1: Right. Uh, yeah.
0: There's evil, <laughs> right? And Dr. Loomis's character in Halloween basically asserts the theme every time he talks to a human being in that movie. True. <laughs> right? Every person the stand. you think he's a man. is not a man, Sarah. Tonight, he is... Evil! I was his doctor. I was there, and I looked in his eyes. He had the blackest eyes. And so, it's uh, Dr. Loomis is trying to get people to understand that there's objective evil, and in the, the last scene of the movie, the last dialogue exchange of the movie is Laurie Strode looking at Dr. Loomis, asking, was that the boogeyman? Dr. Loomis says, as a matter of fact, it was, right? So, Laurie's gone from a person who may not have believed in monsters to a person that believes in monsters, right? Believes in the thematic of the film that there is objective evil out there. Uh, So, so, you know, it's, it's however you want to do it, you can, you can do it. Um, But I think it's to your detriment as a storyteller, if you aren't certain about it and it might be worth the time to just uh, uh, worth the effort to, save the subtlety for the redrafting but make sure like when you first lay it down you know what the hell it's about because when I ask somebody what their story is about and they start telling me plot I stop them yeah <laughs> I'm like, no 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 don't start telling me what happens what is your story about right um, like I was I was talking to uh, a writer friend of mine in the Titans writers room about the last Jedi and I didn't respond very well to it uh, I mean I'm not dogpiling on like everybody else so I respect Ryan Johnson as a filmmaker and and I'm sure he did uh, what felt true for him. But I watched that entire movie, and I had no idea what it was about. <laughs> so, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, this part's cool. And this is oh, beautifully shot. And Oh, wow, Adam Driver's performance is really good here. Ooh, Daisy Ridley is really strong in this moment. But I didn't walk out of that movie knowing what it was about. Right. Right. Uh, and because of that, I walked out of it sort of feeling like the trilogy was already over, even though it was only the second film.
1: Mm-hmm
0: because I didn't know what we were still trying to resolve. You
1: know? I, I, I get the, I get the sense in, in that film the, the overwhelming thing for me when I watched it was failure. And and I I felt like, you know, like Luke failed in that movie. And then sure. they tried, you know, to do the thing with Canto bite, that failed. And then, you know, at the end of the day, um, I think that what do they do successfully? Actually, <laughs> in that movie, uh, well, they kill
0: Snow. They all right, kill <laughs> Snow. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, and, so I'm gonna am gonna drop anchor on this a little bit. So I'm I'm a stickler when it comes to theme, and I don't think uh, a single word is a thematic. I think it's like failure. Yes, I agree. But what about failure? Right? What is the assertive? statement about failure, right? Are you saying that 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 despite failure, we, we must endure, which I think is sort of living in there somewhere, right? Um, when you look at like DJ's cynicism about there being no right and wrong, you know, they're just both sides of the same coin, versus Rose Tico's kind of unassailable sense of right and wrong, right? And and her willingness to sacrifice and Finn's willingness to sacrifice. I think I think that is there. It's just a little muddy. You know, I mean Kylo sort of sort of tells Ray that, you know, it's time for the Jedi to end it's just
1: put the best off.
0: You know. And it's like Okay, I think you're kind of saying that there is no objective good and evil, that it's foolish to pursue that. So I guess you pursue self-interest, right? And so it it seemed like the thematic was, you know, in the face of failure, uh, the the wrong lesson from from failure is that one should pursue self-interest. The proper lesson from failure is that you should use it to teach yourself how to accomplish a higher moral goal.
1: Right. right? And that's that's kind of what I felt like Yoda – did
0: when yeah, he came back? It was there, I just think <laughs> it was it was surfaced enough, right? Yeah, you know, because it was competing with other thematics about you know the, do the ancient ways matter, which was also competing with what's the nature of military leadership and the worth of bravado, which was also competing with <laughs> how capitalism works. You know, there was that, so yeah. many themes in the movie that. None was really there. If you look at The Empire Strikes Back, The Empire Strikes Back is really about one thing. Uh, Is there hope for humanity inside of a fallen thing? Right. Like in and it is all about uh, everyone, you know, sort of telling Luke you know, that Vader is this, Vader is just this, Vader is just this, Vader is just this, and Vader being like, I am your father and the rest of it. And then Luke deciding, nope, I'm not going to subscribe to your evil, your lack of humanity, I'd rather jump off of this fire and figure out my way through the Force. Right? <laughs> right. It's, um, you know, there's... And in the Return of the Jedi, Gate is the same thematic still. He's more machine than man now, twisted and evil. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> so... You know, it's it's the constant engagement of themes. So, um, and that's why I think it's important to have clarity about uh, um, what your movie's about, what your story's about, comic, whatever it is, novel.
1: Yeah, wh- um, one one thing I talk about a lot on the podcast, and and one thing I had to really sit down and think of this thing for myself? Like, what is that? What, what separates, you know, what feels like you did it right at the end, whether, whether or not, you know, other people think it's good or not versus you feeling like, man, what am I missing out of this? And, and the big thing I always put out there is isn't is intention. I call it intent, intentional writing. Like, most parts. I won't say every single part. I don't want to be absolute. I don't like absolutes. Most parts. <laughs>
0: Only set deals and absolutes. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> so most parts, I feel like of your of your storytelling should be intentional. I, I feel like your theme should be intentional. It shouldn't really be a thing that that like just arrives because you were writing a story, um, you know, and you got lucky. I feel like you need to be intentionally writing about things. Now, I do understand that while you're writing, sometimes when you're trying to grasp what your story is really about, it may come up in one of your earlier drafts. I, I can see that. But I do think at some point you have to have a clear intention of making that thing uh true. You know what I mean? In your, in your story. So
0: I think so. Yeah. You know, I think you do have to have, you, you do want to write, create with intention. I think that's very important. And I think, you know, when it's, when it's there because the writing is changing you in some way, uh, you know, that's, that's always my, my, my kind of judge, you know, is if I'm the same after I write something that I was at the beginning of it, then I didn't go far enough. You know, the the writing should change me in some way. I should not have the same, uh, not necessarily a weight, not necessarily a burden, but I should have an evolved perspective on what I was dealing with at the end of the story. If I finish the story and I'm still kind of in the same philosophical place I was in the beginning, then I feel like I didn't explore it enough. You know, I didn't go, I didn't go far enough, uh, uh, there because uh, uh, I, it, it, you know, that kind of again, introspection, revelation should alter you in some way, even if it's just a small way, but uh, it should kind of progress you. And that's why I think it's hard for a lot of storytellers to go back to something they did before, no matter how much people love it, because they're just different. Like Lucas was different when he did The Phantom Menace than he was when he was like a 20 something year old making Star Wars, you know? Like, The Phantom Menace is about what he knew then. Taxes. (laughs) That
1: is very true.
0: Like, corrupt institutions. Like, like it's it's about billionaire problems. The Trade Federation. The Trade Federation. You know? And that's something that, like, yeah, that felt real to him at the moment because when you have a billion dollars, taxes are a real thing, right? Like, you're, you are dealing with the trade federation. When he was making Star Wars, he was basically a kid looking up at the sky wanting to be more than what he was. You know, and um, you know, so, so it's hard to go back and do it. That's why generally when you see creators, no matter how brilliantly talented they are, they try to go back and do the thing. They're just in a different place. Like, Cameron is in such a different place than he was when he made Terminator 1 and 2. Like, it's, it's impossible for him to get back to that because of the the battles he was fighting with the first Terminator were just a battle against being able to make your movie with not having enough money, you know, and and the struggle of that. And you can feel the struggle in the Terminator, right? Like, because he is Sarah in a lot of ways, but he's also Reese in a lot of ways too, right? Like, it's almost like Sarah and, and Kyle Reese are two sides of Jim <laughs> Like, one of them is the person that's like, I don't know if I can do this. And then the other side is the you know, no, Sarah, you have to leave the future, you have to do this, right? And you can see that play itself out in the movie. And in in Terminator 2, which uh, the struggle there was more about, I think, just pushing the technology of film to be able to accomplish what was in his mind, literally inventing new technology so he could get these images in there. But it was also about measuring the relentless drive to accomplish a goal with humanity. And I think Cameron was realizing that like, okay, part of me is this relentless warrior like Sarah was in T2, but I can take that too far and I can, I can lose my humanity in the process. Right. And maybe that's a matter of like his personal, I mean, I don't know him personally. I only met the man once, but like, you know, maybe it was like he could sort of see that he was so intense about accomplishing his goals that maybe, you know, relationship with a spouse or relationship with kids or relationship with friends were suffering, whatever it was. But there was a real thing in there about Sarah having to reconnect with the fact that she was a human being. You know, um, because she was so driven and she was was dealing with so much adversity the entire film that it was really about reconnecting with humanity um, in that way. And so... You know, now post Avatar and Titanic and the rest of it, you know, I, I just don't think he can get back to that same space. It's a hard space to get back to. It's, you know? it's, a, it's
1: a whole different, there's a whole different energy. I mean, it, it sounds like what, yeah. what you said about uh, music, you know. Um, it sounds similar to that, you know. You hear a lot of people saying, "Oh, well, someone so doesn't make this, you know, the same stuff they used to make." You know, it's not the same That's anymore. because
0: they're rich now. <laughs> like when, when, when you, you know, you hear like uh, I heard someone you know talk about Drake, and it's like the early Drake was better. Well, the early Drake, he was—I mean, he was still well off, but he wasn't Drake yet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so now you get now you get an album full of like drizzy problems. Right <laughs> which is different than you know Houston Atlanta Vegas, we're not in Houston Atlanta Vegas anymore, right, you know, not <laughs> even Paris, London, Tokyo, it's all totally different feel, exactly. right? exactly, yeah. yeah,, and you can't you can't get back to that, you know it's 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 like if you listen to you know like you listen to the weekend it's like all right, but realistically Abel, who is who is curbing you. <laughs> Woman that is just like who, man. So when it, when it comes when it comes
1: to writing, whether it's whether it's story or even even music, a lot of the the impact of, or I guess that the, the thematic impact uh, on the story is gonna be from where you are at that point in time. Like you're gonna put out, you're gonna, it's gonna Absolutely. be somewhat a product of the energy that you're putting out. You know,
0: it is. I mean, you know what what you're writing is is like a little. Time capsule and it, it captures wherever you were at the moment you were writing it. You know, like, uh, um, you know, The Exorcist, for instance, William Peter Blatty, the writer of The Exorcist, was a, a, at one point he wanted to be a Jesuit priest. And then I think he walked away from that and became a journalist and a writer. Uh, I think he worked for the CIA um, and did like some propaganda analysis or something. He had a really interesting life, William Peter Blatty. Uh, the Exorcist, it was really him still with, you know, he had his Christian faith was, like, super strong. He felt that the world was getting too secular. And he wanted to write a story that would scare non-Christians into thinking about Christianity again. And that was the whole purpose of The Exorcist. It was almost a propaganda film, in a way. I love The Exorcist, but that's really, you know, what it was about. It was a response to the, you know, the the 60s and the rejection of authority and cultural norms um, and kind of these old sort of modes of thinking. And in a lot of ways, The Exorcist is a radical film, but it's also like a film steeped in conservatism as well. Right. Um, And that was where he was at that time, you know. Uh, And so you can look at these things and you can see like what they were dealing with. Um, You know, when they were doing and once they're like Godfather Part Three, Godfather Part Three is a movie is a story from a man that is considering his legacy, considering his empire, what what he's done and has he been good and has he been just and 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 all of that stuff. And people didn't respond to it. And, you know, I understand the problems people have with it, but I think it's a remarkably honest exploration of those ideas. He's not the same person he was when he made The Godfather, when he made Godfather Part Two. Those are two stories about a person who is struggling to deal with the corruption around them and accomplishing a goal, which was largely what Francis Coppola was trying to do in his own life. He was trying to be a filmmaker, producer, writer, and he was dealing with lesser minds, lesser lesser people of less quality, right? And... And you know he was probably feeling Michael's slide towards like cor- cor- not corruption of of like spirit as much as just like corruption of ethics. Like you know the person that he had to become to accomplish things might not be a person he wanted to be. And that's a lot of what Godfather is about. You know the 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 distance between him and, and his family and all of that. And you know it's very kind of rooted in Italian American. Experience and Godfather Part Three is a story about a rich man thinking about when he dies, what is he leaving his shoulder, which isn't what people wanted from there. I think they just wanted something that felt like Godfather One and Two, but you can't do that <laughs> because you're not there
1: anymore. Right, you're not you're not in that same place. Which, like, yeah. like you know, I, I like I I really like this idea of really drawing into yourself and harnessing your own kind of energy i always make this sound like a mystical thing or something but that's like what it is right um, oh that's what you said last time we we, we spoke uh, you mentioned writers being like the mages of the real world or something like that
0: oh yeah yeah. Well, we are i mean like we because you know we spark imagination you know ideally our words our speech it's creating motion emotion inside of other people like it's a very kind of magical process but you know like fallen angels for instance fallen angels is really about my experience as a black american in hollywood meaning you know it begins with quanin saying i'm in paradise but i don't feel comfortable here right because i don't feel the same i can never feel the same way about this like they do because i don't think there's really a place for me in paradise and and that's what being in Hollywood is like, you know, as I am grateful to be successful, but I'm still not like these people. I don't come from where they come from. You know, I, I come from less comfortable places and I've had more extreme experiences and I don't feel like I have a place in their paradise, no matter how inviting they are to me. Right. Um, and, you know, while artists in general are a little different than society, I'm also different among artists, right? And so Quan is a mutant among other mutants, but she's different than other mutants.
1: Right. Yeah, she's still different. She's got I mean she's gone through I mean she nobody has gone through what she's gone through, period. (laughs) Right.
0: And that's how it can feel, right? You know, it can feel like no one understands my perspective on this because I grew up eating government cheese sandwiches. So, when I'm like standing on set and, and, you know, people are, you know, kind of doting on you, it feels incredibly uncomfortable. Because I feel way more in touch with the people that people look over and ignore than I do with any celebrity I might work with. But I, but you got to take that meeting and you have that conversation, but you just don't feel like that, you know? Um, and I wasn't really acutely aware of it at the time but i think a lot of that crept into the story you know and and then the people that have responded in the story have been people that in some way also have those feelings whether they're white black you know whether it's a race issue or or, or sexuality issue or or you know uh gender or whatever it is i think those people that have felt that those feelings have responded to it because it felt true to them right because i was engaging those things it was coming you know coming out of those things um you know so like killmonger is about what would have happened if i hadn't got over my bitterness you know i was bitter growing up i was angry growing up because i felt like i was in a world that was inherently unfair i didn't know how to make it fair and so um i thought anger was going to be my way to do it and it was my way for a while and i had to let it go because i realized it was self-destructive but eric doesn't right yeah so You know, so yeah, so so it's all, you know, um, I think uh, reflective of of who you are Mm -hmm. and and all of that. And the the reader never has to know where it comes from. I mean, I'm fine if you just read the story and you just like cool, you know, looking ninja mutants and, you know, and they're fighting (laughs) the cyberpunk and that's great. Enjoy, Enjoy it however you want. But, for me creating it, yeah, it's going back to those themes and going back to those ideas and figuring out what the affirmative statement is and also kind of recognizing like, oh, that's what this is about. You know, the first thing I ever sold um, was a novel that I wrote uh, that was a response to this girl that I, I was infatuated with, who I didn't really know I was projecting and doing those stupid things that young men do. But it was it was that experience with me questioning the nature of my masculinity, trying to figure out a pathway to being, you know, and a man with agency, I suppose, all these different things. And I just wrote this book about it and uh, I sold it. But then 9-11 happened and it, my contract got uh, I don't know how, what they say, but I guess it got nulled uh, because it was like force majeure or something. A whole, whole bunch of things happened. So that's why the book didn't come out. But the point of it is it was you know it was about those things and and I'm glad it didn't come out because it was full of the wrong ideas oh, uh, did, did he, It was did... an angry young man's screed, and I would have been embarrassed by it had it been published so I'm glad it never talked like <laughs> that but ooh, yeah, it was like one of those you know it was of angry records you know uh and Uh, you know, I'm not Eminem, so I don't want (laughs) to, you know, putting Kim in the trunk.
1: He was, he was, he was was in a different place too, for those who ask, what happened to Eminem's music. Yeah. Completely different place.
0: Eminem's actually a perfect (laughs) example, right? You know, you you know, his his music is often about something, but post recovery Eminem, like literal recovery, not like just a record title, but like literally Eminem not on drugs is a different Eminem. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and he, he can't like. Oh, uh, with the Slim Shady, Slim Shady, man, he can't do that anymore. <laughs> Don't you realize that that was hell for him?
1: Right, he was going, he was in a that, whole different mind state, like
0: completely he hated different. Who he was while he was Slim Shady. Let this man make his see a uplifting song.
1: Right, right, exactly.
0: Let this man be happy.
1: <laughs> and you know, so we a, a lot of this, you know, we we mentioned in, introspection, like like to the yeah. to the extreme. I'm I'm kind of wondering, um. If that's the, I mean, I, and I never really thought about it one way or the other. So it's just an honest question. Um, mm. you know, in, in a, in a story, do you, do you think that, that plot can work as like an external thing too, as well? You know, like, or I'm sorry, not, not plot theme can work, can work as a, an external, uh, or, or like an external thing. Um, the way plot kind of does to a character, you know, um. In what way? What's that? In what way? So, okay. So you had, you know, We've been talking about how characters are how, or first us as writers, and then you know we we kind of project into these characters, uh, or, or reflect—that's a better word—I think—reflect onto these characters uh, what's going on in their heads, uh, and, and that helps create the theme. But I'm wondering if uh, external factors to what's going on with the character can also help shape and mold that theme, or how those things might do that.
0: Well, you know, from your theme, um, you have a protagonist. Let's say your theme is affirmative, meaning that your theme is something the story is supporting, which is sort of different than a theme that, uh, you know, is kind of an anti-theme, right? Um, So your protagonist is generally on a quest to prove the theme, right? So now your antagonist is going to be on a quest to disprove the theme. Right. So now you've already got these two forces that are, that are living in opposition. Um, understand that opposition can help you develop your plot because your plot is really the continuing testing of your protagonist's desire to achieve the theme. Right. Um, I mean, all stories are about a character wants something and something is standing in their way. It all starts there. So uh, what does Luke Skywalker want? He wants to be a Jedi. But more importantly, what he really wants is to help the universe, right, the galaxy. He hates the Empire, and he wants to be a force of good fighting the Empire. And he is surrounded at first by cynicism, right? His uncle and his aunt are cynical, right? So, so the plotting of that kind of comes out of the theme. Well, what do we need to do with this protagonist? Well, we need to surround him with people that deny the truth of that thematic. Right? There'd be a moisture farmer, don't worry about the Jedi, crazy old wizard, don't worry about that stuff, right? So so that starts to form his world in Act One and kind of the events that he'll see in Act One, right? And then the introduction of Obi-Wan Kenobi, old Ben Kenobi to Luke, is the first person in Luke's life that ever affirms his theme, his desire. Right? You know, you should be a Jedi like a father and come <laughs> with me to Albert, right? And so that, that affirms the theme, mm-hmm. right? And, and you can sort of track these different things. And if you look at Star Wars, Star Wars is a lot of Luke believes he can be a hero. He encounters someone that supports that idea. He then encounters somebody that shits on that idea. He then goes through an experience where he gets to be heroic and believes in himself more, and sort of rinse and repeat as he's changing the cynicism of the people around him.
1: Ah, yeah, I I I definitely see that.
0: And so Han Solo coming back to help Luke in the trench run is a direct result of Han Solo's experience being with Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi and seeing their belief in heroism, and, and Leia. Because Han at the beginning of the movie would have never done that.
1: Right, exactly. Exactly.
0: Han actually has the biggest character arc in Star Wars.
1: Uh, yeah, in, I think in that first one, yeah, uh, or Episode Four, rather. Yeah, I, 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 I do. I, I also thought the same way. Like, man, this—he changes the most. Right. <laughs> like, he—he he started right? off caring about nobody but numero Uno, yeah. and then <laughs> he's not any better than Greedo
0: in the beginning of that movie, right? You know, he just shot first, and damn it, he did shoot first. But. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know but Han changes a lot and he's changed by the heroism that he sees in, in other people right and, and if you look at the Empire the Empire presented in Star Wars is really just uh, the, the most cynical force in the galaxy spiritualism doesn't matter all that matters is power and our acquisition of it and we will blow up these planets and we will get them to fall in line and the nature of your rebellion is a belief in a goodness that we know is not true It's naive, Leia, to believe in this goodness. And I'll show you where goodness leads. It leads to the destruction of Alderaan, right? And it's really about, like, proving that cynicism. And so those are, like, the general... So so you can see how these events sort of come in, right? Like, you know, how does a hero maintain faith after the planet that you were supposed to go to and become a warrior gets destroyed by the Death Star? You know? So... The the engagement of the thematic kind of helps you figure out these different events. And if you look at The Empire Strikes Back, this sort of general sense that Luke had about being a quote-unquote hero now gets focused on the idea of being a Jedi. Right? I need to be a Jedi. Right? And what's interesting to me about Star Wars Empire and Jedi, to me, Luke has the purest idea of what a Jedi is. And he's still that farm boy who looks at the horizon and believes that there can be more. And he never stops being that kid. He just gets more power along the way and starts to get more certain about it. And people kind of forget. He does the opposite of what Obi-Wan and Yoda wanted him to do. You know, because Obi-Wan was like, you can't save your father. He's bad. I failed him. And your father is dead. That's why I told you that. Because I don't think there's any Anakin in there anymore, you know. And then Yoda, you know, Luke's like, "Why well, can't kill my own father?" That is why you feel. right? <laughs> and so even Yoda is like, "Nah, man, that dude is gone." <laughs> like, like, like Obi Wan and Yoda want Luke to murk that dude. Right. <laughs>
1: I never really thought about it like that, but it's
0: true. (laughs) But Yoda's plan was to train him until he could murder Darth Vader. (laughs) That was literally the plan, man. It wasn't about no save Han. It wasn't about any of this. He was like, I'm going to train you until you can murder that fool. Um... (laughs) And then Luke is like, "Nah, but Jedi defense, we don't fight. We're not aggressive, you know, the whole thing." Mm -hmm. And so he turns himself into Vader. He's freestyling at that point. None of this is what Obi Wan and Yoda want. None of (laughs) that. And he's up on that bridge, you know, and that and that and, and, and so so like those different themes. He's on the bridge, and he and he and he's like, you know, I know you were once Anakin Skywalker, my father. That name no longer has any meaning for me, right? And 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 like so now Luke is. He, you know, his basically, you know, the Star Wars Empire and Jedi is, you know, redemption is possible through the power of love. Right. Like, that's basically what what it is. And if you look at all the different events, you know, there's all these different things that are are there to bring despair. Right. What the the opposite of love is is maybe despair or fear, whatever it is. But. You know, so that so the plotting is how can we put these heroes and heroes in these precarious situations where there is seemingly no hope, but they can still manage to succeed because of their belief in each other and themselves. Right? You know, Han is lost. A bounty hunter has sold him to a gangster slug. Like, it's a rock. <laughs> you know? Like like with the beginning of Return of the Jedi had fuck all to do with the empire. Mm. It was literally about saving Han Solo. Right. Luke, Leia, Lando, everyone is risking their lives to save Han Solo, and then they get to the Empire. Mm. But it had nothing to do with fighting the Emperor or Vader or any of that. They just had to save their dude. Right. And they were going to go to this desert world that Luke never wanted to go back to. The, you know mm. that 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 you know all of that. <laughs> But it's because you know they believed in him and loved him and, and wanted to save him, right? And and that overcame the cynicism of that moment. And Palpatine is a brilliant character because he represents pure cynicism. You know, like like uh, uh, you know, he sits there in his throne and <laughs> Die. <laughs> <Complete. laughs> You know, like, like he's just like you know, there's no heroes, man. Ain't no heroes up here. Right. Yeah. And even Vader like, is like useless tourists, right? Like, and they keep trying to tell Luke, you need to stop believing in this Jedi stuff. Mm-hmm. You need to let it go. <laughs> and and again, goes again to the thing about plotting. Well, if you know that you're thematic, then you know that Luke can't beat Vader by beating Vader.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Right. And so that's Lucas' genius, is I'm going to have Luke beat Vader, and I'm also going to show Luke why that was a defeat. That was a loss.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Lost his temper, you know, beats Vader down, cuts off Vader's hand. I guess he gets, like, you know, hand for a hand, whatever. And then he realizes, like, oh, 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 no, 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 no. And in that moment, he realizes what a Jedi is, right? Mm-hmm. And a Jedi, I don't, I'm i not going to fight. It's not about the fighting. You know, shh i'm a jedi like my father before me you failed your highness right mm-hmm. um and that's what that is right and so so i think people that are dissatisfied with the new trilogy they're dissatisfied because the new trilogy doesn't have the same clarity of the <laughs> 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 like like and and I, and I and i like daisy as a as an actress and and i think ray has a lot of cool stuff going on but she's angry
1: mm-hmm.
0: a lot <laughs> <laughs> And so that doesn't really gel with like, well, what happened to the whole the, the, the for defense only? I mean, she is marking people. <laughs> she's halfway to the dark side, and she's on Jakku, just getting
1: portions. Right, right.
0: <laughs> but she's the easiest one to turn She's halfway turned.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where they were playing with that idea a little bit. Uh...
0: You know what I mean? So, 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 so the a lot of the plotting ideas of like the what could happen next is really a matter of, well, what can happen, um, that helps engage this, this combination of thematics, right? This, this, I guess this, uh, these polarities of theme, right? What, what can, what can I put these characters through? How can they react to it? What kind of villain do I create that, that helps, uh, challenge the, the hero's theme, right? You know, exactly all those things like this. So that's, that's why I think having a thematic is so important because it, it helps you frame it. Like, okay, I know who Palpatine has to be. Mm-hmm. All, all of Palpatine these has to be that guy who challenges the, the very notion of heroism and goodness Right.
1: Mm-hmm. All, all, all those external factors, like you mentioned, Palpatine, uh, Vader, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, whatever, whether Obi-Wan and Yoda thinking he should do it one way. And, you mm-hmm. know, all of that kind of helps set up like, build this house oh. around what your theme is supposed to be and you know and and then, and then your, your your protagonist has to has to kind of like overcome all the roadblocks in the way to prove the theme you know um if it's i guess if it's that sort of thing <laughs> so so yeah i guess i guess that's kind of what I was asking, which was an excellent answer, by the way. <laughs> as far as so how this- a neat
0: thing, this is just kind of a side note. Here's a neat thing in Return of the Jedi that not enough people talk about. This is why people can't can uh, 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 ignore Lucas's touch of genius. So in Return of the Jedi, Luke, um, you know, does the backflip and and gets to the stairway, right? And then Vader lifts his lightsaber and says, "Obi Wan has taught you well." Well, if you think to Revenge of the Sith, Obi-Wan had the high ground. Ah. Ah. (laughs)
1: Right? How dope is that? I've, Wow i have Crazy, never right? thought about that
0: that's so dope to me
1: see that's the kind of stuff that i like that's
0: that's so dope to me like just that he like went into revenge and <laughs> said put that thing in there and then when you walk in front of the Jedi Vader's like oh he taught you that, huh? <laughs> that son of a...
1: so you know to have the okay. high ground okay <laughs>
0: And that's why Vader threw the lightsaber. He's like, nah, we're not going to do this twice.
1: <laughs> I got cut down once. <laughs> I
0: like, got something for this. <laughs> for, for Johnny Highground.
1: Up there. <laughs> wow. I'm going to I'm gonna have to listen very closely right? to the dialogue again. On, 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 How
0: dope is yeah. that? Yeah,
1: <laughs> because honestly, ins- the, the dialogue that I remember, to me. The, the, the dialogue, that I remember the most is Palpatines in those, <laughs> in Return oh, to the Gym. But I don't really, you know, I, when Vader talks, it's just a oh, lot Vader's being Vader, you know. But I, I've never she caught don't...
0: that. <laughs> Totally. I just thought, like, I didn't have to bring that up because not enough people talk about that. And it is, like, the dopest part of Return of the Jedi. That
1: is, that is pretty freaking excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the kind of, those are the things that I like when we're talking about, like, a long stand, like, huge trilogy or not trilogies, Mm -hmm. but series. Um,
0: like a long, yeah. That's a long, you know,
1: something is, yeah, can be referenced to something that was, that happened before. You know what I mean? Like, that's, Mm -hmm. that's dope to me. Yeah yeah i love that that's what i hope to strive for. i hope to be able to like in my own storytelling if i ever write anything that's like a you know like a long Branders, brandon sanderson size universe or some crap <laughs> um
0: well that's why i have to defend george lucas man because who else does that in movies right, like, right, does that. right. <laughs>
1: that's that's pretty cool i like that i like that but um but yeah, like I like I like being able to refer back to something else that was you know that was in place before you know to remind yeah. the readers hey I'm still here with you on this on this journey you know um, mm-hmm. but yeah but in, in, in any case yeah wow yeah I think we nailed the 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 external factor or the external effects on on, on theme and how that that can help bring it all together Um that's pretty freaking dope I, I like using star wars as a as a way to kind of frame that because i'm mean, so many well, people I are about
0: star wars a lot because star wars is like still the monomyth right and i suppose harry potter is also a monomyth but i am not as fluent in harry potter so i don't discuss it. <laughs> um, i got you but star wars is like generally everyone knows the bigger points of star wars mm-hmm. so you can always use that as a point of departure in a discussion right exactly exactly
1: um yeah, that, that, I mean, that really, that really ties that down. Do you ever think, do you ever think, um, even though you're intentional about whatever the theme is, that there's a way to, to, to write theme in a way that is, uh, I want to say ambiguous, but I don't know if that's quite the word that I'm reaching for. Um, but, but, but a, but a way that the, the, the watcher, reader, or what have you, uh, can interpret what you what, what the theme of this thing it's supposed to be differently.
0: You mean like, without like, just kind of like hitting the nail on the head. Right,
1: right, right. Like, like, even though, like, I guess, I guess if you as a writer, um, you know, we talk about intention or whatever, if your intention was to leave it ambiguous in a way, have you ever seen that done? Or do you have any, do you have any, um, or have you done it yourself?
0: Well, you know, it's funny. I, I'm not sure how many, how many films and stories, um are ambiguous about their thematic, mm-hmm. I think they might be ambiguous about plot events. they might be ambiguous about um you know characters' fates, mm-hmm. but I tend to think that you can usually find some clarity in terms of what the story is about right um you know and and but one way to 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 make it more subtle as you discuss it is. Have it always seem like a unique struggle of the character rather than, you know, like a fortune cookie um, aphorism Mm -hmm. that comes in the story. Right. Like if you watch Robocop, Alex Murphy's struggle is uh, finding his humanity again Mm -hmm. after being made into a product. Right. Right. But it's never really spoken about in those general kind of broad billboard terms. It's always spoken about in very intimate terms, just Alex, Robocop, and Officer Lewis, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so it, it doesn't it doesn't scream itself as thematic to you mm-hmm. because it feels like Lewis telling her friend Alex Murphy that he's still Alex Murphy, right? Right, um, but if you think about it and you analyze it, it's really a thematic about, you know, the nature of humanity and you can't mechanize the soul out of a person, mm-hmm. you know, and all those different things. But they just never say it explicitly right. because it seems so rooted inside of character. Right, right. Uh uh-huh. So that's usually one of the ways you can do it, is you can just root it inside of characters so people don't feel like they're getting preached
1: to. Right, so it's supposed to be an ambiguous, more, more, more multi-layered, like, here, there's a deeper meaning than the meaning, you know? There's the meaning, sure. and then like, there's, like, like, the meaning.
0: <laughs> like, if you look at The Exorcist, right? Mm-hmm. The ambiguity in The Exorcist, I suppose, is, was the demon real, I guess? Right. Right? Yeah. Like, to a point but there's so much phenomena in the movie that it's sort of, I mean, it's not really ambiguous. There's a bunch of shit flying around in the bedroom. <laughs> like, you know, it's kind of wild, right? But, but, um, and there might be some ambiguity about what Damien Karras' fate is at the end of that movie. True. You know, mm-hmm. like, was that an act of salvation or was he somehow damned by it? We don't really know. So that is ambiguous. But the question, the central question of, the necessity of faith because sentient evil exists is pretty definitive in that film.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I, you know, I always challenge films that uh, and I use films a lot because, um, you know, that tends to be like kind of a bully pulpit of popular culture, but it also exists in books as well. Mm-hmm. But I always kind of look through something and say, is it really ambiguous though? Like really? Mm-hmm. Or are some like plot conclusions ambiguous character fates ambiguous Mm. is the is the story itself ambiguous about its meaning I'm not sure it is
1: you can catch the rest of this interview in part two